0: Let us pray. i eternal and everlasting, Father. We are thankful this morning for your love and your mercy. Thankful for the goodness that you show us in this area. Thankful for the rain without any other damage. We thank you that you've been so precious. Thank you for answering our prayers in many ways and we come to you. And we plead for your mercy and you do answer us. For this we thank you. We thank you for this group of believers that you have assembled. You only know how and why you assemble this group. It is a request that you continue to work in each person in this group. To seek to honor you. Create in each person that yearning desire to truly know you to experience you while on this planet with the assurance that you will reward each one who seeks you on this planet. Father, we are grateful that we also have been given the privilege to then assemble and study a portion of your word. we recognize that the human mind is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual, Apart from the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that God the Holy Spirit the perfect communicator. Will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We are still in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses twenty-two through 26. First Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. It is as it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are uh, unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that each part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We are fast, of course, coming close to our study of this section of First Corinthians 12 verses uh, 12 through 26. As far as its analysis is concerned, but the application is still far away. Now this being the case, let me review what we have studied up to this point. Now the overall message of the section is that unity and diversity are essential in the body of Christ, that is the Church of Christ. Now this message, as we indicated, plays three Uh, places three responsibilities on you as a believer. The first responsibility, based on the subsection of of verses 12 and 13, is that you should recognize the unity and diversity in the uh, Church of Christ. The second responsibility, derived from the subsection of verses 14 through 19, is that you should focus on facts, facts, about members of the Church of Christ that we indicated are five. The first fact is that the Church of Christ consists of several members. The second is that no believer can be separated from the body of Christ. The third is that each member is necessary for the functioning of the local Church of Christ or the universal church of Christ. The fourth is that it is God who places each member of the church in the church to function as wants The fifth fact is that there will have been uh, no church of Christ as we know it today if it consists only one member. The third responsibility, based on the subsection of verses 20 through 26 is that you should be careful how you treat members of the body of Christ. Now we indicated that there are reasons or positions that are necessary to bear in mind to help us uh, in order to carry out this third responsibility. A first reason you should be careful of how you treat members of the body of Christ is because of the importance of unity and diversity in the church of Christ. A second reason is because each member depends on the other. A third reason is because even those considered weak are indispensable or are necessary members of the body of Christ. A thought is that there are certain members of the body of Christ that require special attention. So that then brings us to the fifth reason where we this will really, where we begin this morning. A fifth and final reason you should be careful how you treat members of the body of Christ is that God has his purpose for constituting the church in certain ways. Now this, this fifth reason is based on what the apostle wrote beginning in the last sentence of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 24 and ending in verse 26. Now the last sentence of verse 24 begins with a Greek particle that primarily is used to indicate a difference with or a contrast to what precedes in effect it is used to express contrast between an immediate clause and the one preceding it so that it may be translated with but or on the contrary now the word may also may be translated indeed or certainly when it is used as a marker of contrastive emphasis as it is done in the complete Jewish Bible in our verse that's how they started with the word indeed and so on anyway when the word is used in connection with a command it may then mean something like now or then as the word is translated in the instruction given to wife regarding her husband in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 24 Ephesians chapter 5 verse 24 Ephesians chapter 5 verse 24 reads now as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, some English versions begin verse 24 of Ephesians 5 with the conjunction but, but. Now, interestingly, the translators of the International Standard Version began with the word indeed, indeed, which. It's a permissible translation of the Greek word when a contrast is to be made in an emphatic manner or a strong alternative is being suggested. Now that aside, the meaning but may indicate a transition to something different or contrasted. So when the word is translated birth before independent clauses it may indicate that what preceded it is to be regarded as a settled matter, thus forming a transition to something new, uh, implying that sometimes that other matter or, or an additional matter is being presented for consideration. Now some of our English versions, such as the contemporary English version and the today's English version, among others, really did not translate our Greek word, probably because they were conveying a sense of transition to something new. Nonetheless, in our passage of 1 Corinthians 15:24, the word is really used not only to indicate a contrast between what follows in the second half of verse 24 and the first half of, of the verse. But it is used to indicate that an additional fact is introduced that should be considered as one deals with the subject of unity and diversity in the church of Christ. Now this additional fact to consider as one deals with the subject of unity and diversity in the church of Christ uh, is that God constituted or composed the church the way he wants and for his purpose. Now, the fact God constituted the church the way uh, he wants is introduced then in the sentence of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 24, we're starting. Look at that sentence, God has combined the members of the body. God has combined the members of the body. Now the mention of God in this in the sentence we are considering should, all, uh, should remind all of us of at least two things about God that are relevant to the subject of unity and diversity in the body of Christ. It should first remind us of the wisdom of God as we think of the members of the body of Christ. Now, his wisdom, God's wisdom, is beyond human comprehension and beyond measure, as Apostle Paul himself declared as he contemplated God's work in election in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 reads, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Now, it is really as we think of the wisdom of God that will have respect for the way he has constituted the Church of Christ, as in the sentence again of First Corinthians twelve twenty four we are looking at. He said, "God has combined the members of the body that we are considering." Though no? now the second thing about God, other than His wisdom, uh, in, the, in, the, in this verse tells us that we are considering, is really the unity. Of God, of God, the unity of God, or the Godhead, as we may note from the unity of the work of God in our salvation, where each member is specifically concerned with a specific aspect of our salvation, as the Holy Spirit conveyed through Apostle Peter in First Peter chapter one verse two. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2 where all three members of the Godhead are mentioned in a sense with different functions so to say but it's still complementary the first of course is the father who is mentioned in connection with the election so it says who has been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Of course, that word foreknowledge should really be according to his prayer determination. It's not knowing what's ahead. As people try to say, it is a meaning of the Greek word, but it doesn't meet uh, this particular context. Now, it says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So, you see, the Father... The Holy Spirit is the one that pulls us apart. That's the sanctifying work here. He pulls us apart. In the sense that, think about it. Do you think that any human person, really, in his or her right mind, would really want to go to hell? Think about it. But the thing is, because of the blindness over humanity, people don't see that. That it's a horrible thing to even consider being in hell. They don't really know what's ahead of them. So it is God, the Holy Spirit, who sets us apart so that when we hear the gospel, he opens our minds and we perceive it and believe. That's what this sanctifying is here. It's a sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Of course, Christ died on the cross, paid for our sins. So you see, every member of the Godhead is involved in Our salvation. Anyway, it says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So we do see that unity. So I'm saying then, that as we contemplate on the constitution of the church of Christ by God, we should think of His wisdom. Think about His wisdom. And the unity in God to help us appreciate what is stated in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 24, we're starting when it says again, God has combined the members of the body. God has combined. Now the word combined is translated from a Greek verb that appears only twice in the Greek New Testament. Now in both passages, where the word is used, the translators of the NIV consistently are translated or rendered the Greek word with the word combined. Combined. As in our passage. But then uh, we do know that in another place where the word is used, that uh, it is used to going to chide or rebuke the Israelites that did not exercise faith in the word of God that was delivered to them according to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2. In other words they had they didn't, put their, they didn't combine their hearing with faith. Because in other words, you hear something, you don't believe it. Or you don't show that you believe it by acting towards it. Then you miss whatever it is associated with what you had. So that's what we have here. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard heart was of no value to them. And, of course, I have to say, tell you many times, that's my fear that I have. That most, many of you, or hope not, that you may sit here and listen to all this and it has no value to you. That's a big fear for me. anyway. He said, because those who had did not combine it with faith. In other words, if you hear here and you do not act on it trustingly in God, then it's a waste of time to you because it's of no value now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 24 the Greek word has the meaning of to compose to put together or to compound that is to assemble a unified whole by mixing or combining different parts hence God in his wisdom formed one organism by unifying or fitting together the members of the body of Christ. That is his wisdom. Now the human body consists of different parts that together form a functioning body. If any part of the body is missing, that will cause problems in the function of the body. It doesn't matter how little you think that function, uh, you don't see the value of that part, miss it and you find how difficult it is. Now consequently then, all the parts have been carefully placed by God to support the overall function of the body. God has done everything to it carefully, size-wise everything. Because if our hand was a little bit, I mean, if you were hand longer than what we have it, we have we we'll clumsy and all kinds of things. As it is, some of us are really clumsy without that happening. So you can say God put everything perfectly. Now that said, though, we should recognize that the analogy the Apostle used is applied to the body of Christ, and so we will focus. On the body of Christ as a concern of the sentence that we're considering. See, the sentence we're considering, again, the sentence of 1 Corinthians 12, 24 reads, God has combined members of the body. That sentence should remind us of at least three things. That sentence. Again, God has combined the members of the body. That, again, I say, should remind us of at least three things. First, that the work of God in composing the body of Christ results in a unified body. Unlike another work of God that involves the political alliance that Prophet Daniel wrote about that will uh, will not stay united or that will not last as in Daniel chapter 2 verse 43 now so you don't get lost here i'm saying god's work in composing the church or constituting the body of Christ, in Christ, is unlike his other work that creates political alliance. But those political alliances do not last. And this is what we see here in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, verse 43. And you see why I went to Daniel in a minute here. It reads Daniel chapter 2 verse 43. And just as you saw. The iron mixed. With baked clay. So the people. Will be a mixture. And will not remain united. A mixture. Not, Not united. Any more than iron mixes with clay. Now we reference this. Prophecy, because it is God's work. It is God's work, and it is the same Greek word used in our passage of First Corinthians 12 verse 24 that is used here to describe, uh, I mean, this describe this prophecy of Daniel in the Septuagint. So we can see this important thing here, and that is this. That God can bring about unity as a part of his work, and disunity as well. I want you to get that point clear. That God can bring unity as a part of his work, and also disunity a part of his work. It all depends what he wants to achieve. So the unity in Christ, the... Uh, this unity in the political alliance he created that so he composed it so you have to see now I know because we don't uh, many of us because we don't really contemplate enough on the Bible and see how it applies to our life today it causes us to lose sight of the fact uh, we see all this you know people. At each other's throats. And we just say, oh yeah... This is the, bad or bad. good. It depends on where you're looking from. But the reality is... both God is working at both. He creates the unity. He creates the disunity. For His purpose. So, as much as we may complain... Just know He's doing it. It's for His purpose. And His purpose... Generally, when there's disunity... It's usually for judgment, usually, because this alliance we talked about in Daniel is resulted in judgment. So if you see, I'm taking for a nation here now as an example, all this you know whining this way and that way, is all designed by him for judgment. That's what it is. And I, I hate to disappoint you. It's never ever going to get better. And I know people wish you can dream all you want. It's not going to get better. Because that's what the Bible tells us. Everything is going down the hill. And if it's going down, remember we studied in 1 Corinthians 7? a sinking ship. The best thing is don't be in it. Get out of it. And the way you get out of it is distance yourself from the wall. And remain aloof. You watch these things taking place, but you don't be a part of it. Because once you become a part of it, you'll be suffering like those who are in a sinking ship. Just get out of it. Stay out of it. They look in, but don't be in it. Anyway. So that's the thing that we have to see here that by this uh, idea of God composing unity and then disunity in the political alliance, simply to say that He brings about unity. And this unity. Second, the unity in the body of Christ is a work of all-powerful and all-wise God and not of humans. Get that point clear in your mind that unity is the work of the all-powerful God and all-wise God and not that of humans. You see the word combined... Because we have, I say, God has combined the members. That word "combined," or really, if we use that in a sense, we use "combine" or "composed." Yeah, and I have used "combine." We to say "composed" if we use that to describe what God did with members of the body of Christ. Now, that word whether we use combine or compose, is translated from what's called an elastase in the Greek, implying that the action of composing of the body of Christ from its members is an action that took place in eternity. It's not something done now. It took place in eternity. Now, this is not difficult to accept, that's all what took place in eternity. If we remember that Christ's walk that led to the composing of his body is considered something that happened before creation as we read in Revelation chapter 13 verse 8. Revelation chapter 13 verse 8. Unless you have these Bibles at the back with all kinds of notes and so on. Otherwise, it's easy to get to Revelation being the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8 reads, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, Life ...belonging to the Lamb... ...that was slain... ...from the creation... ...of the world... ...was slain from the creation of the world... ...now although some commentators... ...associate the phrase... ...from the creation of the world... ...with the verbal phrase... "been written... ...but really because... Uh, ...the phrase... ...from the creation of the world... It's at the end of the verse in the Greek, it is probably better to read the verse as is given in the NIV. Now this will imply then that Christ's death was regarded as a done deal. That's what we, in the best way to describe it, it was regarded as a done deal with God, since his election to come. So the world was done before creation. That again according to First Peter Chapter One Verse Twenty. First Peter Chapter one verse twenty. You say he that's Christ was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake doesn't the work of Christ on the cross that is the basis of composing of the church is seen from eternity as a done deal along with the election of those who will be members of his body. Now all we're saying is all of this composing all happened in eternity. It's not that God woke up, you know, one morning will say and says, Okay, I put this person, I put this no no no. All this did he happen in his mind all in eternity before man was even created. And as I'm going to see, that excites me in one way, and I hope it excites you in the same way too, that yes, I'm a part of a body composed from eternity. Anyway, the point though is that the unity that results from God composing of the church with the various members is his work. And not that of humans, as it is impossible for humans to bring such a feat. We can do that. Now, as believers, we are not called to create the unity in the body of Christ. Now, pay that attention. We are not called to create the unity. That may be shocking to some of you. Because that's, you know, we hear, you know, let's get together and all that, yeah. But who am saying that we are not called to create the unity in the body of Christ. But our responsibility is to maintain it. God is the one that created it. But you and I are given that responsibility to maintain it. This is according to what is stated in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Again, my point, I am emphasizing is we are not called to create the unity, we are called to maintain it. It's already been created by God who composed the church. So he reads here Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, the NIV of this verse reads as a command. But the Greek indicates, as we studied in detail when we studied Ephesians, the Greek indicates that the apostle is concerned with the means of maintaining unity. Since the expression "make every effort to keep the unity of the uh, of the spirits of the NIV" is better rendered, making clear the Greek, better this way by making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit doesn't the means of maintaining unity or cohesiveness among believers requires that each believer should eagerly determine to do something that is described in the verbal phrase to keep the unity Of the spirit. Now willingness. Or eagerness. Is an important attitude. That should exist. In order to carry out. Anything successfully. There has to be. That eagerness. Or willingness. If you are excited about something. Then you wind up doing it well. So we are required in. To maintain among us, or what God has already brought about. That's what we are required. We are not the ones that bring it about. He's already done that. Unity of the body of Christ is already accomplished by God. We are only required to maintain it, or, by putting it another way, to make it a reality. While on the planet, make it a reality. Whether you know it or not, all believers are composed in that one body. So that's that unit. is already made it. Now let it come down to us. Like, as people say, it's more like that illustration somebody used, I think, some time ago. You chop off the head of a snake, cut it off, the rest of the body keep twisting, keep twisting for a long time. Before he catches up with the fire, I'm dead. So this is what, we're, what I'm saying is, here we are. We're, we're already in the unity. Let us catch up with that reality by what we now do. It's already a reality, but we have to catch up with it through what we do. So the point is, it's for sure that uh, by having the right kind of attitude... Then we want, that we want to see unity that God has already established to be evident in the church. We want to see that being evident. So anyway, the second thing then we have stated is that the unity in the body of Christ is a work of the all-powerful and all-wise God. As part of what we should learn from that sentence where it says, God has composed the, uh, God has combined the members of the body. That's the second thing we learned. Third, God composed the church fr- from people of different ethnic backgrounds to form a new humanity. Now humanity began as composed of one group of people. With one language until humanity rebelled against God or his instruction to spread and occupy the planet Earth. Now, of course, all this is a one that according to his plan, he created people, and after the flood, all the three sons of Noah. Went together. But God says separate, go different paths so that you begin to subdue the world. They didn't want to do that. They didn't want to have any part of it. So He kept doing that by confusing the language. So then, when people refused them to do so, God forced them to act by creating the diversity of language so that. People, for the most part, first grouped themselves based on language and eventually based on ethnicity. In other words, the first diversity was created based on language. Now these were all siblings, more or less, because they were still small. And they all knew they had the same common grandfather. But once God brought about the false diversity, the judgment of language, well if you didn't understand the other person you you avoided him or her you go to people you uh, uh, understand so that is when his first mixed that so that you know the three sons of Noah were all mixed at the beginning and he continued but uh, later on eventually the whole thing came down to ethnicity now the point is that it is God that composing the church of Christ with people of different ethnicity. But that's not the all though. He composes church with believers who have different spiritual gifts. Now each member is placed in the body in such a way that a person fits into the body of Christ. As God has determined. Now it is like really putting together apostles. The way God did that. Now each believer is chosen and gifted in a way to fit in the composing of the body of Christ, as the Holy Spirit implies through Apostle Peter in 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 25 I'm sorry. sorry first peter chapter 2 verse 5 sorry first peter chapter 2 verse 5 First Peter chapter two verse five reads, "You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ." I see. We're being built up like stone, living stone, he says. But you see, a house built of bricks requires bricks of different sizes or even shapes. The bricklayer doesn't use the same size block all the time. That's the issue. He'll he'll cut some, shift some, and feed them in order to meet whatever the plan is for that building so we maintain then that God has uniquely placed each member in the body of Christ in such a way that a unified body of Christ is the result in his wisdom God not only composed the body of Christ where people of different ethnic backgrounds, but also of different social standing. Although the, uh, the letter is not always easily recognized, the social standing. I mean that in some geographical areas, there are not many of those with high social standing that are members of the Church of Christ. But that does not mean that there are no other places where God has composed the church, the church of Christ, with people of high social standing and low social standing. Now what I'm saying is, there are places you go today, those who are highly placed uh, in in the society, don't find them in the church. You go there, the people that you see are the, the poorest of the poor. Those are the outcasts. There are those you see in the church. In some parts of the world. But that's not true in every part of the world. Now, in this country, for example, where local churches are composed of the rich, the powerful, the highly educated, and the less powerful, and poor. But I'm saying in some parts of the world today. you don't, I can't say that. All you see, the poor. And that is why in some cases, some of these Christians are suffering more than others. In other parts of the world. Because uh, some don't consider it dignified in their minds. To consider faith in Christ. They think it's beneath them. Again. Or I can say the not of the elect. If they are, they will be there. Anyway, so God in his wisdom knows then how to mix the members of the body of Christ, both according to social standing and spiritual gifts, to accomplish his purpose. Now we have an example of this mix in the local church in Aniel, at York. As we read in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. And hold on to Acts, if you get it, uh, we'll be looking at another passage in Acts shortly. It is, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene name who have been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Here we see a mixture of spiritual gifts, of prophecy and teaching. Because remember it says here, there were prophets and teachers. So we see those with gifts of prophecy... And those with gifts of teaching. That's the first mixture that's recorded here. I mean there are more, but that's those based on what the author the Holy Spirit wants author acts, that is Luke to communicate. So there is not only do we have this uh, mixture of spiritual gifts, there is also a mixture in the ethnicity, although if based only in this passage we cannot be absolutely certain. Thankfully, there's more in the book of Acts that help us to be certain what we stated here. See, that phrase, Simon called Niger, implies that uh, Simeon, I mean, sorry, Simeon, he is a dark skinned person. Since the word Niger, is a Latinism meaning black. That's how that word comes, from Latin. Now, of course, you know, well, we won't get into that now, but truly speaking, no human being is black. That's just what people say, in terms of, you know, uh, light characteristics and all other that, that, that things. But anyway, so because the name Simeon is a popular name among the Jews, he was probably. One of the dark-skinned Jews that lived in Africa. Now, Lucius was certainly from North Africa. So that he also could be a Hebrew person or a Gentile. We don't know. I mean, from this particular verse. Well, it is because of the uncertainty of who Lucius is. Or that he was that we uh, could say that there is possibility that there was a mixture of ethnicity in the local church although we are certain of the mixture of ethnicity in the local church in, in Antioch as we'll illustrate shortly. Now the mixture of the social standing of people in the local church in Antioch it's implied by the fact that my name was brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch. So that he was probably a privileged man before he became a Christian. Because of where he was raised, he was brought up in the seat of power, associated with people with power, so to say. So anyway, there should be no doubt though, that there was a mixture of people of different ethnicity and social standing in the local church of Christ in Antioch. Since it was this mixture that was one of the reasons believers in Antioch were first described as Christians, as we read in Acts chapter 11 Verses 25 and 26. And hold on to that. Hold on to that passage. I mean, yeah. Because I'm going to pick up from the same chapter in. It says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great members of the people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now if you just read this without knowing background. It just okay, they were first called Christians. The background is important. What's the background? Now Antioch was a place composed of people from different parts of the world known then. And so you had Jews, Gentiles, as the as the world was divided. The thing that stunned the people who gave this nickname Christians is that. They have, you know, all these small places where the idols were worshipped. They have, and so whatever idol is worshipped, you know who will be there. Or Gentiles. They have synagogues. Wherever you have the synagogue, you know who will be there. Jews or converts to Judaism. Possibly, but mostly Jews. But there's another group they saw. And this group consisted of Jews and Gentiles together in one worship place. That was stunning to them. And that's why they were called, given that first name, Christians. It's more like a title of saying, Oh yeah, maybe these are the literal Christ. Or they were, you know, something about Christ. They adhered to the, some of them thought of, in terms of political view, they say, yeah, they adhered to the political view of Jesus Christ. That's why they can come mix themselves together. So it is that mixture that caused the name Christian to be first given. Now, here is one of those things that you see today. If you look around our local churches today, you have to wonder how far away are we from the New Testament church? Think about it. The name that we have Christians, the background for it. And so you see that there's a question that's raised in my mind. And that is, based on what I'm explaining here, I have just said that God composed the church. So if there are a local church in a place where there are all kinds of people, And that church doesn't represent that. You have to ask yourself, is God composing it or man is composing it? You have to ask that. You have to think about that. Who is composing it? Man? And if it's man composing it, is it truly the church of Christ? Or is it just an organization with the name Christian on top of it? Now these are things that, uh, when you think about it, why you, we I'm sure, I mean, if you're really thinking, uh, this congregation can truly say we are a New Testament church. Truly say that. And be excited about it. Because we are composed just like the Antioch church. Exactly. Now, I may think we're strange anyway. I think some of you are very strange anyway. I don't, you know, for me, that's great. Be, be strange, but be it in the way that is honoring to the Savior. Don't try to confirm. So, so, you know, you fit into the society. Does God compose something that you can describe? I'm sure when people come into this church, they just get shocked. Yeah, I know that. But I'm excited I'm my part of what God composed. I don't know about you. That's what you think. Or what you're getting out of it. But if you're getting what you're supposed to get from it, I think you'll be excited too. As I am. Anyway, so we are, it's not the pat us at the back, we are really composed like the New Testament church in Antioch, Because of what I've just read. Now those Barnabas and Saul taught the word of God, included Gentiles who believed in Christ as indicated in Acts chapter 11 verses 20 through 21 that we're we looking at. Look at verse, verses 20 and 21. It is, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people uh, people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, the Greeks who believed were Gentiles. And so we are certain that the local church in Antioch, composed of Jews and Gentiles, among other classifications, including social uh, classification. Now, it is not only that God composed the body of Christ, that is, the church with different believers of different ethnic backgrounds and spiritual gifts, but he also values even members that other believers may have the tendency to ignore or to look down for any of the several reasons humans do such things, look down on each other. It is this action of God that is given in the clause of 1 Corinthians 12, 24, where we're studying. Look at it, it says, And has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. That's God working. He is the one that composed the church. And he, in his wisdom. That's why I say, when you think about the composition of the church, or composing the church, think about his wisdom. He knew how exactly to do it in a way to achieve his purpose. But anyway, the thing given to the parts of the body that God is concerned with is described with the word honor. Luke says, and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. That word honor. Because the word honor, we've looked at it, but I'm going to review it anyway. That word comes from a, a Greek word, kime, that may mean prize as in what it costs to redeem the believer by Christ, as stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. 1 Corinthians Chapter six verse twenty. It is You were bought at a price. That's the Greek word Tibet, translated honor. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now the word may mean value, as it is used to describe the estimation given to the books that were born by those who were involved in magical acts in Ephesus, once they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, those of them practicing what they call magical acts, they decided, go burn those books that were used, now that were believed in the Savior. And that's where a word is used, with the meaning value in, Ephesians, in Acts chapter 19, verse 19. Acts Acts chapter 19, verse 19. It is a number who have practiced sorcery, brought their scrolls together, and bound them publicly. When they calculated the value, that is the T-M-A, the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas." Now the Greek word may mean compensation, compensation, such as that that should be given to teaching elders of a local church, as stated in First Timothy chapter five verse seventeen. First Timothy chapter five verse seventeen. And hold on to First Timothy, of course. First Timothy chapter 5 verse 17 reads, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Now the Greek word may refer to the act of showing of honor or showing reverence, or showing respect and so it is translated respect in the instruction given to believing in slaves uh, regarding their masters in 1st Timothy chapter 6 verse 1 well looking at time we'll we read it after a break